I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholley. It's Wednesday, so that can only mean one thing. It's PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick McGuire and I pause the action as Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go at it across the dispatch box. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, it's our columnist panel. And a Wednesday means it's Crampon, it's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Let's talk about Christmas. Yeah. And um, the politics of Christmas, it all comes around, it comes around earlier and earlier every year. <laughs> Uh, Jenny Harris, who the government put in charge of the UK uh, Health Security Agency, but then seemed to go out of their way to constantly um, distance themselves from anything she says. She says we should try and limit our socialising this Christmas. Uh, The government says, no, have your Christmas party, but be cautious. And I'm not sure what that means, Robert. I feel a bit. I oh, know. I feel a bit sorry for Jenny Harris. I mean, she's the she's the chief executive of the UK Health Security Agency, and kind of clues in the name, really. She's she's doing her job and saying, well, you know, if 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 health security is all you're concerned about, and that is what she is concerned about, then don't go to a party. Uh, and then I guess Boris Johnson is doing his job and trying to be boosterish and saying, no, let's all have a go out and have a good time. Uh, and then they just, you know criticise Jenny Harris for doing her job. It doesn't help that she doesn't particularly look like she enjoys a party. <laughs> uh, whereas, do you know what I mean? She looks, she's very much kind of kid at the front of the class and Boris is the, is the good time guy at the back of the class, isn't he? And it's a sort of a lot of coronavirus uh, disagreements at all fall within that kind of rubric as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, I, I feel a bit sorry for her. I think she's, uh, she's just saying what is a sensible thing for someone in her position to say and getting criticised for it. But I suppose, um, Alice, there's a, there's a point at which um, maybe politicians are slightly more in the real world than yeah. uh, the health professionals. And it's one thing saying, yes, don't go to your parties, stay indoors forever. Like, that's the perfect way to get control of the virus, but that's not going to happen. So is it, is it actually better for, to have, like, Sajid Javid saying, take a lateral flow before you go to your Christmas party, acknowledging that some people are going to go to their Christmas party. So in the real world, saying, look, of course you're going to go to your Christmas party if you're having one, but take a lateral flow before you go. That seems like a more logical, real-world solution to uh, to the issue. Yes, yeah, Sajid Javid, I always think, is the sort of ultimate dad, isn't he? That, you know, with his children, it's sort of like, be cautious, be sensible, be yeah. pragmatic, take the middle line. And actually, maybe he is, maybe as sort of centrist dad, he's... he's He's the one that's doing what most of us will probably end up saying to our children or when we do. And also, as Robert said, it depends whether you like dancing at parties. I've got a kind of (laughs) weird obsession about what Boris Johnson's Christmas must be like because he is so utterly transfixed on that one date. You kind of think that, you know, he's got that farm in Exmoor whether all the Johnsons come together and just have such an incredible time that they can't face ever missing it. Yeah, I'm not sure that everybody else is as as obsessed Mm. about Christmas as as the government. I mean, we like it, but we... we, we, uh, We'd rather just get. We'd rather get rid of this pandemic. 
Although Hugo Rifkin wrote a column yesterday talking about... He, he basically said that we were obsessed with Christmas and he could yeah. completely understand why it was such a political... I, mean, I also think maybe those of us with uh, smaller families who normally have a smaller Christmas... Um, this all, you know, all seems. But maybe, maybe Boris Johnson's particular situ- family situation means that Christmas is a slightly more uh, complicated, numerous affair. Put it like <laughs> Blended, that. I think, uh, is so what you're meant to call it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought I thought Hugo's column was really interesting on just how obsessed we are with 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 Christmas as a date in the diary, which is essentially for most. But, you know, millions and millions of people who never go to church, it's not a Christian thing, but there is, there is something yeah. sort of... You could almost say Chris, Christmas was a national religion, and then you realise, oh... It is, Christmas is a brand, yeah. a brand uh, alongside, like, the NHS or whatever. It's, yeah. uh, it's very important. And the Second people. World War, and I think that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the, big, the big trio, isn't it, that we worship at? Yeah, or the First World War, when we yeah. all had that ceasefire for Christmas, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Yes, that exactly. Combines that combines the whole world Yes, together. well done, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all uh, interwoven. You know, you can go all the way back to Oliver Cromwell if you want to. That's you know, all, for everything that Oliver Cromwell did, what was really bad was he he, he yeah. banned Christmas. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's that's why he's he's not a national hero. He is to um, me. Uh, do you think there's also a little bit, uh, Robert, of um, uh, the government sort of talks itself into these messes? By saying, by constantly talking about Christmas, they yeah. then get themselves into the situation that they're then the, the Grinches. Well, when, it, yeah, it does have a, a horribly ominous, familiar look, doesn't it? Uh, I think pretty much the same thing happened last year. I mean, it's almost identical, isn't it? Uh, and yeah, maybe they might have been they might have been wiser to not to talk about Christmas until you know Christmas, Christmas, <laughs> yeah, Advent, whenever that is. Oh, we're in Advent. We're now, in aren't Advent. We? That was on yeah, Sunday. We've been told that, that goes from the Sunday. Oh, I thought it started on the first. No, I think it goes. From I Sunday. thought it started on the first because that's when you, it doesn't. It starts, that's when you start yeah. opening. No, I think Asmir, there's a whole issue about this, but I think it actually starts on the Advent Sunday. I see. Yeah, no, in fact, I was looking in my my uh, diary, my hard, you know, printed book diary, and yeah, yeah it said on Sunday, mm-hmm. first day of Advent, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize. Oh. That's getting earlier and earlier. Yeah, and, and the children are going to feel cheated because they got their chocolates only in their calendars only run yeah. from uh, today. T- talking of yeah. things uh, which which come around again and again and again, yeah. uh, Pretty Patel's plans to get a grip on uh, the migrant crisis. I've uh, reported in the Times uh, today that she's embarking on a grand tour of Europe. Yeah. Um, uh, because she wasn't invited to the talks in France, so she's going to have her own. She's off to <laughs> Rome, uh, Belgium, and Berlin. Yeah. We think uh, she's also talking about. I'm not quite sure how this works. She wants to. Because earlier in the week, Sajid Javid convened the G7, a meeting of the G7 health ministers to talk about Omicron and the spread of the pandemic around the world, which maybe makes sense. Um, Peter Patel wants to organise a meeting of G7 interior ministers, which basically means Canada, Japan and America have to agree to join the Zoom in order to get Germany, uh, France and Italy to yeah. come on board. Um, uh, what do we think? Is this going to work, Alice? Well, I think Pretty Patel's problem is that she has just plummeted in the polls for uh, among Tories. She's now, mm. you know, as bad as Boris Johnson and the Chief She's Whip. Third, so, yeah. and, and I think she looks yeah. at Liz Truss, who is going around the world and doing rather better, <laughs> and everyone blank. seems to rather love, and is at the top of the list. Yeah. And they've always been very competitive anyway. And I think she thinks, well, maybe if she's going around the world, I can too. And but now it's all I need be a bit on of Zoom action. Anyway. But actually, if it's all on Zoom, then that's a disaster. So I think, I, I mean, felt, I, I don't yeah. think this is going to help the migrant crisis at all. Having her. <laughs> 
you know, jumping on and off planes or in Zooms. I think actually what they've got to do is, is they've got to focus on the French now. I mean, that, that's our main issue. And actually the French aren't going to be any happy if we try and bring other people in on our side. Although the French did say that they wanted an EU solution, didn't they? That was the, they said that at the weekend, I think, because we, they didn't want to try and do any more bilateral deals with the Brits. They wanted to... Uh, it had to be an EU solution, and I think... I feel a tiny bit sorry for Pretty Patel. I didn't think I'd ever hear myself saying that. What? I know, clip, but... Clip that up for the Christmas special. She, uh, <laughs> she's got her own officials briefing against her, calling her a headless chicken. Uh, but she's got to try and do something about this. And do you think they're bullying her now? Maybe she's being bullied. I'm not sure I feel that sorry for her. But in saying I'm going to have a meeting with my counterparts in, in Rome and Brussels and Berlin... That doesn't make her a headless chicken. That just means she's trying to do her job, doesn't it? Because we, we know that the, the migrant crisis extends beyond France. We know that uh, some of the, uh, the, the whole uh, network of, uh, of smuggling gangs goes all across Europe and the supply chain of the, of the, uh, the boats and so on. So I think she's being... It's, it's, I'm not sure... I'm not saying anything will come of it, but I think she's being but slightly unfairly maligned. Well, I suppose I think the, the, the headless chickenism was basically get me on a plane to somewhere. It just turns out that Italy were the people who said, yeah, OK, fine. Well, if that's the way it went down, then I suppose that's, 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 yeah, that's been critical. But maybe she was just saying, I don't know, trying to, we've got to do something, haven't we? And it's not going very, getting very far with the French. It's extraordinary, extraordinary. But let's, let's, mm. just, let's just sit and ponder that um, in defence of Pretty Patel from Robert Crampton. I th- I'm sure that... <laughs> I'm sure the comment desk will take a thousand words on that. Um, uh, Alice, let's talk about your your column today on uh, fact, because we talked about this 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 Pew, I love this research from um, Pew Research Centre in America about what what life is all about, and you've written about hobbyists because Brits are more more prone to putting hobbies in the in the top three than anyone else. Yeah, so the Brits put family, friends and hobbies in their top three and everyone else in the world tends to put, well, some put society, which is really low down in Britain, but <laughs> most of them put occupation and material well-being and occasionally health. Yeah. And it just fascinates me that the, the British are so obsessed by hobbies. So I did, did some research on hobbies and it is true. I mean, we not only invented the word, but we were ridiculed for it in the 17th, 18th, 19th century. And then George Orwell sort of made it acceptable because he yeah. then wrote about it. And yeah. what's fascinating is in, you know, a lot of the continent always think of us as a very class-ridden society but hobbies is the one thing that links us all so every class in Britain had a hobby they all had you know that you that was sort of something that came out in the Victorian era they were all totally obsessed by hobbies and they're meant to be completely pointless most hobbies really Mm. it's just a way of being what we'd now call mindfulness of just total total absorption in something that you absolutely love doing that is not really necessary for anything or a job or you're going to win a gold medal and it's interesting that we don't we don't put society up there, but in a way, hobbies are are our version of society, aren't they? I mean, there are it's the way we interact with other yeah. people. Uh, I mean, although a lot of hobbies are actually fairly isolated, a, a lot aren't. And it's uh, and actually, uh, the internet's quite good in a way. You think it, you know that it's ruined hobbies, mm. but on the other hand, it brings together all these hobbyists. So then you do yeah. find out they're still train spotters, or you discover that people yeah. you know are still obsessed by butterflies or and so actually it in a way it, it's kind of continued now there was a sort of blip in the 1980s when everyone was incredibly down on hobbies and it was all about work and everyone was seen as like you know if, if you wanted a stamp collection yeah. you were considered slightly sort of pathetic yeah whereas now i think um people just look at it and think well actually this is this is a way through the pandemic it's also kind of yeah. a way of relaxing without costing yeah, vast think, amounts of money yeah and people have embraced it as a sort of great british eccentricity mm. i think and it's it's kind of fashionable now in a way with I mean, it's like, like Do we, knitting. Do you have hobbies? Yeah, I've got hobbies, yeah. Yeah. I'm more like obsessions, really. Quizzes are my hobby. 
obsession, online quizzes. I wrote about that. I wrote got my upcoming column is about that very subject. Well, I'm now stalking Robert so much that I actually looked up hobbies and him, and he did write one a few years ago when oh, yeah. he didn't have any hobbies, and then they've slowly increased. They and have, now actually. he is. He <laughs> yeah. is now the ultimate hobbyist. Yeah. And t- table tennis, got a bit of gardening. I mean, the classic ones, actually, really. Walking, reading, mm. gardening, absolute middle-class, yeah. you know, classic middle-class hobbies. Uh, never train, never model railways or anything. Uh, not that sort of, those usual sort of boy, kind of all-scale electrics. I couldn't, I didn't, I haven't got the deck. Yeah, well, actually, funnily, Catelyn Moran wrote a piece on it, and she was saying that it's sort of all the women do you know, hobbies that are actually knitting or yeah. crocheting or something to do with the home and it's actually, there is a point to them. But in fact, I think that's all changed now and that men were meant to do things like golf, which were completely useless. Yeah. I think now everyone <laughs> just has a sort of mix of, I've seen loads of men knitting. Sure. Uh, I think everyone has Tom a mix Daly. of hobbies now. It doesn't really matter. Tom yeah. Daly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Queen is I'll the ultimate one, be... isn't she? I mean, she has so many hobbies, the Queen. I'm always fascinated because she was working full-time still in her 90s. But... I was going to say that, that, but it helps if you haven't really got a day job. But if your whole <laughs> life is a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Going around looking at nice things and chatting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I also so think are it may ba- help. Are you based here? Or the fact that she didn't go to school, <laughs> don't you think? That she just did loads of things when she was kind of younger. Because at school, yeah. hobbies aren't really what you end up doing, do you? Do maths and English. You don't, can't say, actually, no. I'd spend my whole time and, and doing sets. And a lot of us would actually probably we'd prefer to be spending our lives doing a hobby, wouldn't mm. we? But I, yeah. talking about the society thing, I remember thinking that David Cameron got the big society all wrong. Uh, in that he was sort of pitching it as, you know, everyone should become a magistrate. Yeah. And what they completely missed was the big society is people who run football teams for yeah. teenagers or, yeah. you know, run uh, organised scouts and all that sort of thing. And that is a, that, I, mean, I suppose that's sort of volunteering, but that's, that's essentially a sort of hobby. It's a thing that you'd like to do that you don't need to do, which you can get completely absorbed in and you don't get paid for. Um, and I just sort of felt he got all that wrong, that there's a whole sort of network of people who do things just for the fun of it. Yeah, uh, totally, and, yeah. I mean, I was, I was at a, a, a nature reserve yesterday doing a piece for our charity appeal, and it was absolutely chock full of uh, middle-aged and elderly people uh, bird watching. I mean, huge numbers of people, uh, and you know, and all talking to each other and interacting, and the, like you know what we would call community mm-hmm. or what we would call mindfulness. Uh, and, and we've kind of always done that, and we're just—I think we're probably uh, re- re- uh, turning out, you know, get, getting back to knowing that. It's a, Realising its importance is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, I, all those cyclists nope. we have around us, and there are a load mm. of cyclists now, and actually, you know, that there's absolutely pointless because they're just cycling yeah. around and around the road. Well, middle-aged men have given up golf yeah. and replaced it with cycling, haven't they? Which, are, which with just as much kit. Yes, basically. with just as much kit. And, uh, <laughs> but maybe it's... And slightly tighter trousers. And slightly tighter trousers, <laughs> um, yeah. But I think you know, the, the lock, but also think lock, you know, lockdown, the past 18 months have definitely had it. We, we, like, in the depths of the first lockdown, we've sat at the kitchen table and we all, like made papier-mâché balloon animals. It was brilliant. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there. And, of course, you can read them in the both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to the Webbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Mark Chorley and Patrick Maguire. It's that time of the week when we go live to the House of Commons to pause the action uh, and explain what is going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. I'm joined uh, this week by Patrick Maguire, Times Red Box editor. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm very well. It's good to be back in your big chair in the studio, Matt. You're in the big chair in the studio. I'm in the big chair at home, but that's fine. We can still watch along and enjoy it together. Uh, we should just say, Patrick, before we go to uh, PMQs, uh, your your red box emails had a bit of a makeover. It has. Uh, it is, and it looks beautiful. I recommend uh, everyone goes to the times.co.uk <laughs> forward slash red box to get uh, an altogether more elegant uh, read than ever before. In your elegant, inbox, elegance every day. Elegance is definitely the word that I would use. It's very, it's very, very special. Unlike, unlike the... its ungainly author, of course, but you can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get Patrick in your inbox every morning, you can sign up at the times. slash red box. Right, Patrick, what do you think is going to come up at PMQs today? Obviously, it's been a big week for uh, Keir Starmer, shaking up his front bench team. Will this herald a new punchier Keir Starmer at the dispatch box, do you think? I would be very surprised if Keir Starmer didn't pick up the gauntlet that uh, Yvette Cooper and Wes Streeting, his new Shadow Home Secretary and Shadow Health Secretary, laid down to the government uh, yesterday, which was um, a demand for those pre-departure tests and more beefed-up uh, COVID uh, border regime. Obviously, in the last 20 minutes, we've had the leak of um, SAGE papers talking about how valuable those pre-departure COVID tests would be for catching the variant and criticising the government's current uh, day two testing regime. So I'd be very, very surprised if Keir Starmer uh, didn't go hard on that. And it, it, interestingly, I picked up on this in this morning's Redbox email. Labour's rhetoric on Christmas is markedly different to what their rhetoric around Freedom Day in uh, July was, right? At that point, they were sort of half-heartedly saying you should extend restrictions. Now they're saying the public deserves a great Christmas, having endured uh, so much hardship and misery over the past 18 months, um, and it's now on you. So it'd be interesting to see whether Keir Starmer can, uh, you know, channel his, you know, personality, shall we say, into uh, that party-loving line. Well, there we are. Can Keir Starmer rebrand himself as a party animal? Let's find out as we go live to the House of Commons. It's question number one from Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his words on disability and the victims of extreme weather? Can I also mark World AIDS Day? Um, extraordinary advances mean people living with HIV on effective treatment 
can now enjoy normal life expectancy and are no longer at risk of passing on the virus. It is within our hands to end new transmissions in the UK this decade. We must do so, Mr Speaker. As millions of people were locked down last year, was a Christmas party thrown in Downing Street for dozens of people on December the 18th? Mr Speaker, uh, what I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that, uh, is that all guidance was followed uh, completely during number 10. And can I, and, and can I, can I recommend uh, to the right honourable gentleman that he does uh, the same uh, with his own Christmas party, which he's advertised uh, for December the 15th, but which, to which unaccountably he's failed to invite the, 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 the deputy leader, uh, Mr Speaker. So uh, we should explain, Patrick, this is a, a story on the front page of the Daily Mirror today. I was a bit confused by it because it took me a bit of unpacking that it actually referred to a Christmas party held 12 months ago. Yeah. With a full- leaving due for a senior ally and a Christmas party, uh, which actually, I mean, at what point does a group of people standing in a room listening to a leaving speech to turn into a party? Yes, and that's the Downing Street line. All rules were abided by at all times, which isn't a denial of the substance of the Daily Mirror story that 40 to 50 people uh, piled into uh, one of those pokey rooms in Downing Street, um, you know, in inverted commas, cheap by jowl. Um, but as you say, there is probably a degree of ambiguity uh, in the rules there. What's interesting about that line of attack from Keir Starmer, um, and it'd be interesting to see where this line of questioning ends up, I suspect we might hear more about sleaze, is that it picks up that familiar theme that Keir Starmer has uh, prosecuted with varying degrees of success, the one rule for them, one rule for the other. And he's hitherto struggled to turn that into a compelling story about the government's competence or lack thereof. But let's see whether he can. Uh, and, uh, is, it, is it really true, Patrick, that uh, Keir Starmer's having a Christmas party to which Angela Rayner is not invited? Well, I mean, uh, every single member, lest I, you know, uh, invite uh, listeners into the sausage machine, that is Westminster journalism, every single member of the parliamentary press gallery is invited to this party on the 15th of December in the Labour leader's office. Warm white wine with Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves. Angela Reid's name was not mentioned on the invitation, but it should be said um, that, you know, in the old days, the deputy leader has always hosted their own Christmas drinks. Um, but, you know, given 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 that, uh, you know, after the botched reshuffle in May, Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner made a point of effectively, you know, skipping arm in arm through Portcullis House, you think the most effective way to dampen stories about divisions would be by having a joint knees up. Um, perhaps uh, Angela didn't respond to the invitation. <laughs> I must I must have a look through my emails. I'm sure my invite is there somewhere. Right, let's go back then. This is question number two from Keir Starmer. Nice try, but that won't work, Mr. Speaker. The, the, the defence seems to be the defence seems to be no rules were broken. Well, I've got the rules that were in place at the time, Prime Minister of this party. They're very they're very clear, Mr. Speaker. You you must you must not have a work Christmas lunch or party. Does the Prime Minister really expect the country to believe that while people were banned from seeing their loved ones at Christmas last year, it was fine for him and his friends to throw a boozy party in Downing Street? Prime Minister! 
Mr. Speaker, I've said, I've said what I've said about uh, Number 10 and uh, uh, the events of, of 12 months ago. Uh, but he, since he asked about what we're asking the, the country to do this year, Mr. Speaker, which I think is uh, frankly a, a more relevant uh, consideration, uh, and, uh, the, the important thing to do, Mr. Speaker, is not only to follow the guidance which we have. Uh, which we have set out, but also when it comes to dealing with the Omicron uh, variant, to make sure that, as we've said, that you wear a mask in, uh, on public transport and in, uh, in, in shops, Mr Speaker, and that you self-isolate if you come into contact uh, with, somebody, uh, with somebody who has uh, Omicron, Mr Speaker. And above all, what we're doing is strengthening our measures at the borders, uh, but particularly, and I think this will be uh, very valuable for everybody to hear, uh, get your booster, Mr yeah. Speaker. I know, that, I know the right honourable gentleman uh, is eligible uh, for his booster. I'm not going to ask him, Mr Speaker, since I'm forbidden to ask him uh, questions, uh, but I hope very much uh, that he's had it. Well, I can tell the Prime Minister I've had mine. Keir Starmer. Uh, Lindsay Hall there, never missing a chance to uh, <laughs> stick his all in. Um, we should point out, actually, looking at the front bench, uh, the even Jacob Rees-Mogg has a mask on today, uh, which has not been the case in previous weeks, Patrick. And um, uh, Rachel Reeves is wearing a very heavy-duty sort of industrial mask. There's been lots of discussion about the merits of cloth masks versus sort of uh, medical ones. So, that, so the mask mandate seems to be working uh, in the House of Commons. If you can get Jacob Rees-Mogg to wear a mask, um, then uh, the Prime is doing uh, something right. Um do you think this is going to land, this, this trying to go back to something that happened at a Christmas party a year ago, Patrick McGuire, when most people are thinking about their Christmas parties this year? I mean, it's not but it's not Bernard Castle, is it? Is, is, would be my one-sentence assessment of the viability of this attack. Obviously, it's all grist to the mill in terms of the attack Keir Starmer uh, wants, to, wants to cut through in terms of the broader message he's... Uh, He's trying to get across the electorate. But I don't think this is going to set many pulses racing down at the... Actually, I was going to say down at the Pineapple in Kentish Town. They'll love this, the Pineapple in Kentish Town. Keir Starmer's <laughs> local. But, uh, you know, in the dog and duck in Uxbridge, um, in outer London, I can't imagine many people will uh, will do anything but shrug at this, to be frank. And actually, the thing that's come up, particularly in all the focus groups we've done for the last 18 months on uh, on Times Radio, is it, it, Keir Starmer's reputation is for harking back to old stuff, you know, Mr. Hindsight and try to turn the clock back and pick fault. I mean, this is like the worst possible example of that. But maybe, you know, maybe it's all part of that, you know, one rule for them, one rule for everyone else no, no, and, uh, and, and attack. It's, it certainly is. It certainly is. And, um, you know, come the inquiry, uh, I'm sure... The, you know the stories like this, and uh, you know the Matt Hancock story. Um, you know his his floundering in the Department for Health while other people were banned from hugging their relatives is is of a piece with this. But but you know the merits of the um, the merits of the story and the and the truth of the story, as we've discovered um, uh, over the past year, is is that, that is not have a, doesn't have a straightforward relationship to um, public interest, and the public's interests are not always directly linked, are they? Let's go back then. This is uh, question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says uh, we should concentrate on what he's asking the country to do. We're asking the country to follow the rules. Yep. Now, the Prime, Minister, the Prime Minister doesn't deny there was a Downing Street Christmas party last year. He's not denied it. He says, he says no rules were broken. Both of those things can't be true, Prime Minister. He's taking the British public for fools. And as for following the rules, Prime Minister, it might be good just to look behind you when it comes to the question of masks. 
as ever, one rule for them, another rule for everybody else. Mr Speaker, at the last election, the Prime Minister promised to build 40 new hospitals. 40 new hospitals. Page 10 of his manifesto. With waiting lists so high, Prime Minister, it's a very, very important commitment. Now, the Cabinet Office and the Treasury have checked on progress, and it's reported that they've reached a damning conclusion. I know the Chancellor would have seen that. They've concluded that the project needs a red flag because it's unachievable. Prime Minister, is that true? Prime Minister. No, Mr Speaker. Uh, We're getting on with... uh, he, he plays politics and asks frivolous questions, Mr Speaker. We're getting on with delivering on the people's priorities. And, and we're, putting, we're putting record investments into the NHS on top of the, the $34 billion with which we began and then the $97 billion that we put in to fight COVID. Uh, we, we, Mr Speaker, are helping to build another 40 new hospitals uh, with a, an, an injection of £36 billion of investment, Mr Speaker which that party voted against. <laughs> uh, now, um, just on the subject of Mark, the thing I want to pick up on there um, for, for, for listeners who aren't uh, watching along, Patrick, is that it appeared to be a moment where Keir Starmer looked up at the front bench, thinking he could point out that there were no masks on the government front bench, and was slightly startled to see that absolutely everyone on the government front bench... Uh, I'm just looking now whether it's... Uh, Pretty Patel's got a mask on. Um, I'm sure uh, Alistair Alistair Jack's butler has ironed his, especially. He doesn't usually (laughs) wear one. Um, Rishi Sunak's mask is so big, it almost covers his eyes. Um, uh, So I think there are a few on the the toy backbenches who aren't, but I think that's slightly wrong-footed Kiss Tommy. Kiss Tommy looks like he's had a very smart new haircut as well, uh, which is also worth pointing out, because we normally talk about the the Prime Minister's hair. Um, We've we've gone from Christmas parties to um, uh, building hospitals, and then Boris Johnson's response is, he plays politics and asks frivolous questions. I mean, that's PMQs, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Um, you know, a bit like uh, a bit, a bit, you know, a bit like um, fishermen complaining about the sea or whatever the whatever the idiom is. Um, but I think you know, as you, you mentioned uh, your focus groups earlier, I think the prime minister is onto something there, right? In posing Keir Starmer as a fence-sitting carper who hurls from the ditch and he is all about delivery. But obviously the innate danger of that is that this is a government um, that increasingly looks incapable of delivering anything that it has promised to deliver. So again, uh, I'm not quite sure uh, about the per- whatever peroration Keir Starmer is going to tie these disparate themes together with, or indeed if he does. Um, but I, I suspect it might end up in that sort of place. Well, here we go. This is Matt Shorty on Times Radio, bringing you PMQ's Unpacked, where he pulls the action live from the House of Commons to explain what's going on. Still joined by Patrick McGuire, the editor at the Times, Red Box, uh, to provide his ball-by-ball analysis. Uh, let's go back. This is question number four from Keir Starmer. Starmer! Well, this is strange, Mr Speaker, because the government hasn't been denying the reports about the red flag, and they haven't done since, but now the Prime Minister does. There's obviously, there's obviously some confusion on these benches over whether the Cabinet Office and the Treasury think he's on course to break yet another promise, this time on new building of hospitals. So he can clear this up this afternoon. If he's so confident in his answer, 
Why doesn't he publish the progress report in full and let us all see it? Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, what we're doing is not only building uh, 14 new hospitals, but we are also... Uh, uh, but we are also, but we are also, and it, it's incredible uh, that we've been able to keep going throughout the pandemic. But we're also making record investments in our NHS. Yes, it is, and we're also making record investments in our NHS. We have more doctors, more nurses working in our NHS than at any time in the history of that magnificent organisation. Rather than, rather than running down what they are trying to do, Mr. Speaker, and casting doubt on their efforts, he should get behind them, and he should, and particularly, he should support our booster campaign. Yeah. I think that's what uh, Boris Johnson would call a minestrone, uh, <laughs> from which we need to try and extract a crouton. A crouton or two, yeah, God, um, um, we might struggle. But I- do you think? I mean, it, trying to trying to work out why uh, Keir Starmer has decided to go on an internal, uh, re, you know, progress report on the building of hospitals. Is this a sign of uh, Wes Streeting's influence as the new shadow health secretary? Do you think that that, that being a that this this focus on the forty uh, hospitals that could be, you know, where he's setting his priorities? Well, I think I I, I you know as much as. Uh... West Streeting is a man of uh, talent and vision. I'd, I'd actually say this, you know, you can trace this back to the, um, you know, reshuffle in Keir Starmer's inner office a few months ago. And having had conversations with uh, a lot of those people about how they're changing their approach right from sort of a scattergun of policies nobody remembers. You know, there was a Keir Starmer's great reset speech uh, roughly, uh, you know, in the early months of this year, he was talking about green recovery bonds, right? Now, it's all about, it is the opposition's prerogative to point to something the government has promised, i.e., uh, and this this pledge, the 40 hospitals pledge, is something you can fit on a bumper sticker um, to sort of mix my, um, you know, to, to go all transatlantic on you, Matt. Um, and it's pointing to something the government says, saying, these guys haven't delivered it. Why haven't they delivered it? And this is the bit that isn't quite working at the moment, I think. Um, and that might be down to Keir Starmer's rhetorical abilities uh, slash limitations as a communicator. It's why haven't these guys done the thing they said they were going to do to you when you voted uh, under considerable personal anguish for the Conservatives for the first time, um, Jeff in Bishop Auckland? It's because while you were, uh, you know, watching Tiger King on your daughter's Netflix um, for the fifth time, they were having a party when you couldn't go down the pub. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think we're quite getting um, that broad sweep of the argument yet. It's a really, it's a really interesting thing. That and I suppose, and the thing again, the thing that comes up in our focus groups all the time is the benefit of the. The government still seems to get a lot of benefit of the doubt. There's a bit less of it in our group this week, but over previous months, there's definitely some of that sort of residual there. And I suppose um, there's also a thing about how, you know how long it takes to build. I suspect on building new hospitals, you get a bit more benefit of the doubt than you do on some of the more immediate things uh, that the government might have uh, issued pledges on. Um, but you're right. There's a some, sometimes there's something about the the, the sort of the the, the 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 cream on the cake or the cherry on the ice top of the cake. Oh, the, there's, Keir Starmer lacks that last little bit of sort of political stardust. He lacks sort of what what, what somebody put it to me. A, a, a former uh, aide to Tony Blair um, put it to me like this when discussing with them over email a while ago. A, a, a recent Starmer appearance in the Commons. 
and they just put it really succinctly. They said he doesn't have a fourth gear. You know, he can trundle through the first three gears really, uh, really ably. But when you want to put uh, put pedal to the metal, he just can't do it. There's a sort of, you know, and, and you know, this sounds like an ad hominem, but you can almost hear it in his voice, can't you? You know, it goes up an octave and it sounds Paul Heaton from the House Martins without the tunefulness. And it just doesn't really work. Um, he just doesn't have doesn't have it, if you know what I mean. I assume I won't ask you to name your sources, but I assume that former Blair uh, advisor it was not Matthew Doyle who is now um, <laughs> Keir Starmer's director of communications. Uh, no, um, I think we can... <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> right, uh, let's go back to the comments. That let's see if if he if he can get into fourth gear. This is question number five from Keir Starmer. Well, Mr. Speaker, there we have it. I deny the Prime Minister. I deny my hospital. A building program has been flagged red as unachievable, but I don't have the confidence to, ru- to publish the report. Yeah, yeah, Mr Speaker, the more we look at this promise, the murkier it gets. I've got a document here sent by the Department of Health to the NHS. It's called the New Hospital Programme Communications Playbook. I kid you not. It offers, it offers advice, Mr Speaker, to make it easier to talk about the programme. Ah. Now, you might think that everyone knows what a new hospital is. I certainly thought I knew what a new hospital is before I read this document. But this guide instructs everybody to describe refurbishments and alterations on existing hospitals as new hospitals. We can all agree, we can all agree that refurbishments are a very good thing but they're not new hospitals. So, Prime Minister, how many of the 40 are fix-up jobs on existing hospitals and how many are actually the new hospitals he promised? Prime Minister, uh, Mr Speaker, you obviously uh, don't always go around building on greenfield sites. What we are doing is is massive... You, you rebuild hospitals, and that is what we have said for the last two and a half years, Mr Speaker. It is the biggest programme of hospital building this country has ever undertaken. It's being made possible by this people's government, and it's in addition to what we're doing with the community diagnostics hubs, Mr Speaker, and it's, a, it's in addition to what we're doing in investing in our NHS. And I, I said it once, but I'll say it, say it again. They had the opportunity to vote for that £36 billion. They turned it down, Mr Speaker. We're getting on with the people's priorities. They're playing politics. Um, we should point out that I mean, it's always quite uh, exciting when the uh, leader of the opposition says, I have here a document. You think, is this going to be an explosive new bombshell revelation? Uh, I've just looked it up. So we definitely talked about this on the show when it came out. Um, this was a, a communications playbook uh, obtained by the Health Service Journal uh, at the end of August. So it has been knocking about uh, for a while. But yeah, this is, the, this is the, the thing which basically says you could call major refurbishments or even just a new wing uh, of, a, of an existing hospital. You could call a, a new hospital. But, but it still strikes me as a slightly interesting topic for, for Keir Starmer to go on. It is. And it's a gamble for Keir Starmer. He's gambling on the Prime Minister's gamble not paying off. It's the fundamental gamble of Boris Johnson's premiership, at least the first parliament, his first full parliament. Rachel Wolfe, who uh, was one of the people who wrote his manifesto, wrote a good piece, I think, for Conservative Home a couple of months ago on this theme, 
which is what does Bor- and the question she sought to answer was what does Boris Johnson need to deliver in terms of levelling up by 2024 or indeed 2023 for voters to say yeah things are changing and the answer is basically hanging baskets so she said you know if there are hanging baskets on your high street that weren't there before things look cleaner um there are visible signs of uh, dynamism in the local economy. Um, things are being built that weren't there before. Refurbishments are happening to shops that were boarded up and now full of life. Right, that will be enough. That's the government's calculation. That will be enough. Spades in the ground will be enough for voters to say, "Look, Boris is delivering on what he promised." We're coming out of a pandemic, and now he's getting to work. Ditto these new hospitals. Right, in inverted commas. It's it's, it's a bit like when we say, "Oh, is the prime minister lying?" Um, about these new hospitals. Will a voter presented with a cancer ward, a children's ward, um, you know, um, a refurbished Victorian infirmary or, uh, you know, a shiny new plate glass extension to their local hospital providing services that weren't there before? Will they say, well, hang on, you know, we didn't have those services there before. Um, That is, you know, my experience of the hospital is different to how it was before. Um, Will they be necessarily quibble that you know as uh Boris Johnson said uh you know a uh, greenfields haven't been concreted over to build an entirely new <laughs> hospital in the space of three years it's it's a question worth asking and I think you know Labour are perfectly entitled to to push ahead at that particularly given how totemic the issue of local hospitals are particularly for the sorts of small towns you know every Tory MP indeed the Tory candidate in North Shropshire is talking about A&E services or shuttered hospitals. But I don't know. The hanging baskets theory of re-election is one I find quite compelling. And I, I just keep... Also, the, thing, be... the, thi- the other thing about the 40 hospitals is nobody is expecting 40 hospitals for them. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a national thing. It's a good sort of national uh, battleground question. But I'm not going to get 40 ho- new hospitals near me. So you're right. If if my hospital has a spruce up or as a new wing, you know, the hospital will be better than it was before. So, yeah, it's yeah, interesting exactly. how that I, I think the, the, the example we should hold close to our hearts, um, if you'll let me go into a niche for 30 seconds, is the example of Dr. <laughs> Richard Taylor. Right. Labour MPs constantly bang on about who, who were there, constantly bang on about the improvements to the NHS between 1997 and, and 2010 waiting list slash whatever, whatever. But. In 2001, a doctor called uh, Richard Taylor won election in Wire Forest as an independent because they'd shut down Kidderminster, or threatened to shut down Kidderminster Hospital against the backdrop of a massive Labour landslide, right? That is the theory we need to, you know, it's not the 40 new hospitals, it's the hospital in the marginal constituency that matters electorally. Uh, we always like a 30-second niche. Thank you for that, Patrick. Let's go back. We've got the last question now. Question number six from Keir Starmer. No wonder so many Tory donors paid so much for that wallpaper last year. It, it, it probably told me it's building a new flat. It's the same old story from this Prime Minister, week in, week out, defending the indefensible and broken promises. His mates were found to be corrupt. He tried to get them off the hook. Downing Street throws parties during lockdown. He says, not a problem. He promised there'd be no tax rises. Then he put up tax. He promised to be a rail revolution in the north. Then he cancelled the trains. He promised no one would have to sell their home for care. Then along came his working class dementia tax. He promised 40 new hospitals. And even if you count the paint jobs, his own watchdog says he can't deliver it. Isn't this the truth, Mr Speaker, that any promises from this Prime Minister 
aren't worth the manifesto paper they're written on. The right honourable gentleman dribbles on. Dribbles on irrelevantly about uh, about wallpaper and parties, uh, playing politics. Uh, and, and by the way, on, on that, I'm told I'm told that when the deputy leader and, and shadow secretary of state for the future of work was told that she wasn't invited, she denounced it. She denounced it as idiotic, childish, and pathetic, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, they're getting on. They're getting on with factional. They're getting on with factional infighting. We are delivering for the people of this country today. Today, cutting tax for the lowest paid people in this country one, as a result of our universal, universal credit changes, 1.9 million families getting £1,000 more in their, in their pay packets this year. The biggest programme of rail infrastructure this century, Mr Speaker. Three new high-speed lines and we're fixing social care. They have no plan whatever, Mr Speaker. And don't forget, don't forget... Their, their resort to absolutely every problem is either to take this country back into lockdown or to open up to uncontrolled immigration, Mr Speaker. That is, that, is, that is their approach. We are delivering on the people's priorities and, and we have more people in work now as a result of the balanced and proportionate approach that we are taking than we had before the pandemic began. And if we listened to him, Mr Speaker, if we listened to Captain Hindsight, we'd all still be in lockdown. And that is the truth. Well, it's a bit of a greatest hits of both of them there, Patrick McGuire. There's part of me that thinks it's quite good when Keir Starmer tries to pull together lots of threads. The risk is that every PMQ ends up being the same. So he goes through, you know, uh, corrupt friends, breaking lockdown rules, uh, putting up taxes, broken promises on rail, broken promises on care, broken promises on hospital. It's sort of a good pair, but we sort of we could get that every week. There's not a, you know, and as a result, Boris Johnson can come back with all of his usual captain hindsight. We'd still be the European Health Medicines Agency. We'd all still be in lockdown. Um, it's a it's a bit one note. There's not a huge element of surprise. From Keir Starmer. Well, not for, uh, you know, saddos like you and I, Matt, who tune into this every week. But I suppose what Labour have lacked under Keir Starmer is a sense of mission, the sort of mission you can put on a mug or a bumper sticker or, for the Blairites listening, on a pledge card. Um, And, you know, even if this peroration is one note and we get it every week, that's what Labour has lacked, Uh, a, a... Dinky and as for following the rules, Prime Minister, message about about the government and its failure to follow the rules, um, or whatever. So I think you know all good communications, as Linton Crosby or Alice Campbell can tell you, tell you is to a certain extent one note. So this is probably as much as we will, um, you know, bore ourselves to death analysing this for the next three years if Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson last that long. Um, it's probably a sign of the discipline, the newfound discipline in the Labour ranks. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio. And we'll get you on very soon. Listener.